Uh, people always say, well, hydro, you know, it's so big in Canada that we must be tapped out. Surely there can't be any more hydro. Right. But we could still more than double our right. installed capacity. Okay. And this is a very rare story, and, and for that reason, a lot of countries are turning to Canada with envious eyes because um, they just don't have that kind of option. This is Flux Capacitor, a podcast about the future of electricity. I'm Francis Bradley of the Canadian Electricity Association. We feature discussions about the future of the business of electricity on this podcast and what the future transformations will mean for electricity companies, regulators, society, and customers. We also spotlight recent news and bring you different voices from the CEA team. This special edition of the podcast was recorded at the Globe 2020 conference in Vancouver. Our featured discussion on today's podcast is with Anne-Raphaël Audouin, the President and CEO of Water Power Canada. But before we get to my conversation with Anne, CEA's Vice President of Policy Development, Chana Pereira, joins me to talk about Globe 2020 and why we're in Vancouver. Welcome back to the podcast, Chana. Thank you, Francis. So the last time you were on the podcast, we were at COP25 in Madrid. Right. And we did the same thing. Uh, I asked you to join the podcast just mm -hmm. to talk a little bit about COP25. Um, so, yeah, I thought, I thought maybe we'd have a bit of a conversation uh, about Globe 2020. There's a lot of people here from all across Canada. This is my first um, uh, experience at the Globe Conference. So I wanted to get your take on it. Uh, you've been here uh, all week. Um, you've attended a number of the sessions. Um, first off, why, why do you see this as important? Because like a lot of our members are here. Thank you, Francis. Yeah, this is an important uh, sustainability conference. Uh, this is more like my fourth or fifth uh, <clears throat> time at Globe. Mm -hmm. And I've been attending because uh, this is the place where people can get together from uh, government, civil society, uh, industry, and talk about real problems, uh, real um, uh, complex problems that we, we are facing mm -hmm. uh, as a nation, as a world. Uh, we have a lot of people from other parts of the world as well, uh, not just Canadians. So it brings together uh, uh, business, industry, um, uh, government, uh, uh, investors together to talk about issues like climate change, mm -hmm. uh, issues uh, related to sustainability, energy transformation. Uh, there's uh, uh, a greater discussion now about circular economy. Uh, mobilizing capital. Yeah. All right. It, it, now, I know you were in a session yesterday, but what is circular economy? Yeah, I was at a session uh, uh, dealing with circular economy in city mm -hmm. and how do we uh, reduce waste uh, and, and taking that uh, holistic um, uh, approach to managing waste in, in our cities mm -hmm. and communities. And uh, there was one comment made during that session and, and um, and one of the uh, panel members said, you know, we need to start engaging the real experts. Mm -hmm. And the real experts being uh, the local citizens, the people in the community, right? Uh, because if you look at transportation, 
they're the ones taking transportation, not those in, you know, uh, high-rise uh, offices in downtown Co. Most of them are driving, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, but there are a lot of people taking public transit day in and day, in and day out. Right. And those are the people that we need to talk to uh, uh, as we make policies. Right, and uh, so there was some good discussion on that. A lot mm -hmm. of focus on uh, transportation, and uh, but there's a lot more to do. It, it is an emerging issue now. Right. There's a lot of interest in that, uh, but um, the, the most fundamental issue uh, that all of the delegates here facing is really uh, how do we get to net zero emissions right. by 2050? Yeah. Focusing on decarbonization, mm -hmm. I think. That seems to be the greatest challenge. We've been talking about that since 1992, yeah. almost 30 years. And uh, But now there is a real sense of urgency to act. And we were in, uh, Francis, you mentioned uh, our trip to Madrid to mm -hmm. attend COP25. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> a lot of discussion about international collaboration mm -hmm. um, on climate change. And here uh, we have about probably uh, five to six thousand delegates here at GLOBE right. and everyone is talking about uh, how do we achieve uh, this commitment to uh, net zero emissions. So uh, this is where those discussions are taking place. Obviously just like other conferences people are talking but then they have to take some of that information back right. uh, to their uh, offices and, and, and discuss with their colleagues how do we actually move the needle mm -hmm. on this issue. Uh, we are running out of time based uh, on the consensus of the international uh, scientific community. Mm -hmm. So if you're serious about it, we need to uh, ask the tough questions. We need to find the, uh, the solutions. It's no longer enough to talk about it, mm -hmm. but find the solutions, make the investments, because whether, uh, I mean, everything at the end of the day is costly. If you don't act on climate change, still you, you're going to face real cost. So, so, so it sounds like um, the this event, Globe 2020, is a lot more practical and 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 um, uh, uh, almost almost more more of a, a an applied conversation as compared to. COP25, because I mean, COP25, there was a lot of a lot of discussion, a lot of conversation, but I didn't get a sense that it was necessarily leading uh, people to, um, to to seek solutions. Mm -hmm. This it sounds like you know what you're saying is this is this is more solutions oriented, more practical. That's right, Francis. I think with Globe 2020, uh, we have an empowered community here. Mm -hmm. uh, I talked about uh, civil society yeah. and and uh, a consulting uh, communities and, and, and the local people where the real action is taking place. And I think at Globe 2020, um, uh, we have uh, participants who are empowered, they want real change, and they're committed yeah. to finding solutions and leaving an impact and taking action and focusing on the outcome, mm -hmm. right? So this is a serious discussion, I think, at, at GLOBE. Uh, they meet every other year. And I think every year there is some change and, and uh, uh, increased empowerment. Uh, there was a, uh, uh, a speaker yesterday in terms of uh, her uh, first time at GLOBE uh, in 2018 versus uh, this meeting in 2020. And, um, and, and she, she, she felt even more empowered uh, with the focus uh, in uh, her view 
on uh, uh, indigenous communities, right. the role that they play in clean energy, yeah. uh, female empowerment. Uh, so there are lots of players who are committed to uh, uh, finding uh, solutions to uh, climate change. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I think uh, with the real purpose of, you know, finding impactful solutions uh, is um, going to lead to greater results, better results in the future. Okay. And so um, you were here, you'd mentioned earlier today when we were chatting about this, you were here four years ago, That was, and it was just after the election of the first uh, Justin Trudeau um, government, uh, and you'd noted that there were a lot of um, a lot of members of the government that were here. I think you said the, the cabinet had, had met uh, in Vancouver, adjacent That's to. Right. Uh, so, so what? How has that changed? I know we've got two ministers here, mm -hmm. but it sounds as though there are fewer government people this time, or, or fewer elected officials this time than than previously. That is right. We uh, we have about two ministers uh, present. Uh, at this uh, uh, conference, mm -hmm. uh, Minister McKenna uh, from Infrastructure uh, Canada, as well as uh, uh, Minister Seamus Reagan uh, from Natural Resources Canada. Oh, we do have Minister Wilkinson was here as well, and and Min right. Minister Wilkinson uh, yeah. from Environment and Climate okay. Change Canada. Right. So uh, they're well represented. Uh, they do have very senior. Uh, uh, public servants um, yep. at this uh, conference as well. Uh, they are actively participating in the discussions uh, and uh, and working together with business and other civil society uh, because um, they are also facing challenges in in terms of finding mm -hmm. the solutions, identifying the pathways to get to net zero emissions by 2050. So that's really the discussion. What is the pathway? to uh, get to net zero by 2050. So we all have to work together. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we all have uh, important perspectives uh, to share and we do have good ideas. Right. And and this is the place where we bring all of that together and, and we debate those, we listen to each other, we take those ideas back home and test those out. So that's really the purpose of Globe 2020. Okay. Any other observations? Um, I mean, um, as, a, as somebody who's attended a number of these? Yeah, I mean, uh, Francis, you mentioned uh, four years ago we had uh, the Prime Minister and, and pretty much the entire cabinet uh, mm -hmm. attending. Uh, this time we have uh, three to four ministers. Um, you know, four years ago, I would say there was a great enthusiasm and, and um, you know, a commitment to uh, addressing climate change. I, I think we saw some significant action by the Government of Canada um, following that event uh, with the implementation or the um, uh, uh, release of the uh, Pan-Canadian Framework mm -hmm. on uh, Clean Growth and Climate Change. There have been subsequent action as well. I think at this point in 2020, we are really looking at the long term, no longer the short term, yeah. and, and looking for that long-term solutions for generations of uh, children to um, uh, come, right? And uh, so that's the focus uh, 30 years from now, and how do we actually get there? Mm -hmm. Okay. Jana, thanks for joining the podcast once again and explaining why we are where we are and why it's of uh, interest to, uh, to our membership. Thank you, and thank you for having me, uh, Francis.
and welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So we're going to talk a little bit about the future of electricity and the future of hydroelectricity. Uh, but before getting to that, as we gaze upon the, the beautiful view here in, in Vancouver here at Globe 2020, I did want to uh, just pause and uh, ask a little bit about uh, how you came to be at uh, Water Power Canada, if it was always a dream of yours when you were, when you were a young girl in France. So I grew up in France, born and raised in Europe. Um, and so I guess it may not have been a dream from when I was a little girl, but definitely an environmental passion. So uh -huh. a deeply rooted commitment to sustainability, to environmental action in general. Right. Um, so my path kind of took me from environmental um, law, the focus on environmental law throughout my studies, to environmental management uh, as I did my master's at Dalhousie in Nova Scotia. Uh, worked for Ecojustice for a little bit, then for Hatch, yep. uh, which took me on projects around the world, just working on different mostly mining projects oh, okay. dealing with environmental and social impacts management and then came about the opportunity with the Canadian Hydropower Association mm -hmm. which is now Water Power Canada um, representing all the hydropower producers in the country and their providers of goods and services so I think it's come full circle in a way mm -hmm. uh, even though I'm learning every day about the, the sector and right. all those things that, yeah. that people do in this field. It just occurred to me, why the name change from Canadian Hydro Power Association to Water Power Canada? Well, so two I mean, it's, reasons. It's great branding, the, the, the visuals yeah. are already, already all interesting and so on, but it just, I'm just wondering what, what, uh, what prompted the, the Yeah, and a lot of people change. have asked, so it's a very legitimate question because the association has been around since 1998, yeah. so we could have kept the name. Um, the first thing was we need to simplify things because we're in an era where everything is so competitive, right. the uh, competition for attention is yes. also uh, very real. And so the Canadian Hydropower Association was a mouthful and it was long. And so in dealing with stakeholders, we're trying to simplify everything, get back to really the bulk of what it is that we do, the right. core of what we do. And yeah. what we do is produce water power across Canada. Right. So Water Power Canada was very naturally born. And I think we also had um, uh, an issue with the confusion of the wording itself okay. and that the fact that not everybody knows what hydropower is oh, I see. Okay. And, and confusing maybe hydro with other notions and so just making it very clear that what we do is use water to make to power, power. Um, in Canada in Canada gotcha. uh, was just a very perfect semantic simplicity that we can bring oh, okay so we're at globe 2020 what's what's the, the water power Canada um, interest in Globe. Why, why is it a significant enough event to, to bring, bring you and colleagues out here? So we came a few years ago and already at the time that was when Minister Trudeau, um, Prime Minister Trudeau announced the Pankian framework. Right. So that would have been I guess 2016, 2017 mm -hmm. um, and I found it a very good event mm -hmm. uh, for networking, for discussions, um, the right level of, of depth on those issues. Right. Um, so this is just a continuity of our involvement in those discussions. Yeah. All our key stakeholders are here. Yeah. Um, the discussions on decarbonization, on electrification, everything is kind of coming together. Right. Um, and of course, we are part of all those discussions. So right. in a way, we cannot uh, afford not to be here. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and one of the concrete examples was both you and I had an opportunity to participate in a round table with the Minister of Natural Resources today. Exactly. Uh, the Minister of the Environment, Climate Change, who's here yesterday and today. Yeah. And so, yeah, but you're you're right. There's a, there's a lot of a lot of the, the people that we need to deal with and want to talk to are Correct. involved in this in this event. So let's talk a little bit about the future of, of uh, water power in Canada and the the the, the, the prospects 
Uh, and I, I always I always like to, to kind of refer back to some of the research that's been done on uh, 2050 and if we meet our 2050 targets, whether it's 80% yep. uh, GHG reductions or, or now, or, well, that's right, or, or you know now that now the talk is is. Um, um, to, to be net zero. Net zero. That's right. Uh, and so, what does that mean? What does that mean for hydropower? What does that mean for for hydro in Canada? And and do we have a, enough capacity to be able to to achieve what would be a massive electrification across the country? Yes. The answer is yes, we do. Uh, the answer also is that the sector is very excited about electrification, yeah. uh, but that we are all trying to understand what that means. Right. And so, as as, as you know, we've got a different set of targets in terms is looking at different horizons. So there's the 2030 horizon, which is basically tomorrow, um, and then the 2050 horizon. So in terms of meeting the target uh, by 2030, the, the government targets, it's going to be really hard for hydro um, to, you know, think even about greenfield hydro because it takes us 15 to 18 years to get right, the to hydro project all of the, the process. Door. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So from that perspective, we know we can contribute to meeting the 2030 targets, but it's going to take us uh, some reimagination of our processes, meaning that through refurbishment, through redevelop redevelopment of our fleet, we can add installed capacity. Right. So this is a major undertaking that the association is leading right now, is actually quantifying what resides within the existing fleet okay. and that we can leverage upward incrementally so that we can add capacity within the existing footprint. So as, as companies are going through refurbishments, exactly. they're, they're, yeah, they're adding. Yes, because there were a lot of facilities that were built you know, in the 20s, in the 40s, in the 50s, um, leaving maybe an empty chamber, an empty chamber um, thinking that decades ahead um, that chamber would welcome a new unit and would be able to generate um, a few additional megawatts. And they were right. Here and we they are. were right, and right. here we are exactly. And also, what's happening, and you would know about that because it's throughout the electricity sector, is all the digitalization, all mm -hmm. the optimizations of our system. Right. And that's huge innovation that's taking place. And just through that digitalization, we're seeing, again, incremental uh, installed capacity potential. Right. And, and just quantifying that, getting a better idea of, of what that opportunity represents is a priority because right. we, we know that it can contribute to that 2030 target. Yeah. And then for the 2050 horizon, which is giving us a bit more time to actually look at Greenfield, well, we're, we're not leaving any option out of the menu. Mm -hmm. um, so Greenfield is definitely being looked at. Um, we are also partnering more and more with wind and solar, uh, which are tremendous technologies as well, um, leveraging our ChemCore partnership, the Canadian Council on Renewable Electricity, right. and, and just exactly seeing, okay, where are the needs, where is load uh, demand going to grow, what's going to drive that new demand. Uh, how do we work with government and stakeholders to make sure that the best options are leveraged wherever we have them? Because mm -hmm. the good news about hydro is that it's abundant pretty much everywhere in the country. Right. Uh, people always say, well, hydro, you know, it's so big in Canada that we must be tapped out. Surely there can't be any more hydro. Right. But we could still more than double our right. installed capacity. Okay. And this is a very rare story, and, and for that reason, a lot of countries are turning to Canada with envious eyes because um, they just don't have that kind of option. Right. And we do. Yeah, and we we talk uh, about electricity more broadly. Uh, in Canada, we always talk about you know. Uh, Eighty-two percent of, of Canada's electricity is from non-emitting sources, mm -hmm. but the vast majority of those non-emitting sources are, are hydro. hydro uh, yeah. And so, even in the 2050 time frame, it's still going to be the bulk of that. Was is still going to be hydro. That's just yeah. the, the reality of what we've got. Well, yeah, and I mean, to your point, it's um, it's the backbone. 
right? right? It's what we call the clean and renewable backbone of Canada. Yeah. And the reason why it's been working so well is because it provides that reliable, resilient, dispatchable um, base load electricity that can back up other technologies. Right. And now that wind and solar's cost is coming down uh, to you know incredible levels, it's really a perfect marriage um, where we can you know leverage all the attributes of our different technologies. So the grid is a, a perfect mixture of all those technologies. Right. It was interesting that you know when we talking talk about the difference in the time frames, 2030 time frame to 2050 time frame. You know, uh, as you say, the 2030 time frame, it's, it's like practically tomorrow. Yeah. It's uh, nine years and 11 months. Um, but one of the speakers this morning uh, here at Globe 2020 uh, had a comment about 2050 that I thought was really interesting. He said, that's the length of a mortgage. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which I thought was a, 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 a really sort of captured um, the immediacy that you know, 2050 is not so far off either. You yeah. know, it, it, it is indeed just a length of a mortgage. What about in the North American context? Uh, right now, Canadian Hydro plays a not insignificant role in some of the regional markets in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Is that something that you expect that will continue, that the, the integration in, in, in these regional markets across North America? We certainly hope so. Yeah. Um, so quite a, a few of our members are very active negotiating uh, contracts with the U.S. And uh, of course, we've all heard of transmission lines. And um, there are debates in the U.S. right now. But also, there are people like the mayor of New York calling for Hydro-Quebec's clean uh, hydro uh, yes, yes, <laughs> coming right, yeah. to, to decarbonize New York City and basically save New York City from um, a huge climate change crisis in terms of pure emissions. Sure. Um, so it is an opportunity. I think it gets very political very quickly. Yeah. Um, and again, at Globe this morning, another speaker said that uh, we need to stop thinking about climate change as a political issue, but start thinking about it as a, as a scientific issue, as a science issue, because, yes. because it is. It's, it's not a partisan issue. Yeah. And so I, I always try and detach that from political aspects. Um, but looking at the 2030, 2050 horizon, I think we'll see a lot more hydropower exports to the US. Mm -hmm. um, there are obviously uh, very evident synergies with New England, Massachusetts, Minnesota, mm -hmm. all those interties exist and we are more connected north-south than we are east-west in Canada. So it is actually an easy low-hanging fruit for us to do that and right. it's very profitable for Canada to export yeah. electricity uh, down south. Um, I guess we'll have to see what policy um, developments uh, and how they shape up in the US mm -hmm. because different markets uh, treat hydro differently right. uh, and depending on which state and which market you look at, uh, sometimes hydro is not even recognized as renewable, yeah. which is a huge obstacle and nonsensical because- right. Out of state hydro. Yeah. Yeah, and that's yeah. the issue. It isn't, it isn't that they don't recognize hydro, they just don't recognize out of state hydro. As renewable. Right, yeah. yeah. Uh, and although sometimes even within the US, uh, there is the stigma and there is this yeah. disqualification of hydro as being renewable, right. which is an environment that we don't, we're not confronted with uh, in Canada because I think everybody agrees that um, the science is that you know hydropower is renewable, yeah. um, and that's de facto something that people agree with. Um, mm -hmm. So, so it, we're going to see more of it, and, and you know our exports. Uh, we are net exporter of electricity to the U.S., yeah. which Canada isn't in such a position in a lot of sectors. So it's mm -hmm. a very powerful story. Yeah. As I said, it's a very economic um, boost for for our economy in Canada, but it only represents about one percent of the overall electricity consumption in the U.S. Mm -hmm. So the potential is is quite huge. Right. We just have to play our our cards, you know, smartly and and continue to do the right things. 
and what people want to do is try and decarbonize the North American continent. Right. And hydro can be part of that solution. So the decarbonizing um, the, the overall economy means massive electrification. What do you see as the biggest challenges to, to being more aggressive in terms of, of moving forward with electrification? Well, so I think this government has been doing a lot in mm. terms of putting regulations in place that drive behaviors away from fossil fuels and toward an increased adoption of renewables. Mm -hmm. um, so the output-based uh, output pricing system, um, the price on carbon effectively, yeah. was something that we were in favor of uh, and that uh, effectively put renewables on the map mm -hmm. in Canada. So that was very powerful. The clean fuel standard is another regulation that we are very um, involved in. Um, and that could shape an, a new ecosystem that would um, just look at renewables uh, favorably and just create that environment where investment is driven toward renewables. So it's another positive thing. Um, but beyond that, we are uh, in that situation where um, it's almost like, do you put the cart before the horses or do you want the horses before the cart for right. electrification? Because we have those targets and we know we can get to them um, um, which is not crazy to say, but almost only with renewables. You could do it in Canada because we've got an abundance of water, sun, and, mm -hmm. and wind. Uh, it's obviously not going to be just renewables because right. we've got nuclear and other solutions in the mix, which is which is a good thing to have a variety of options. Mm -hmm. um, but it's good to know that you've got different options. Right. Um, but with electrification, you need strong signals for investment to follow. Right. And right now... Are we seeing strong signals? Well, exactly. Right yeah. now, the signals are, okay, government wants to do something, but the provinces need to lead the way, and then the federal government will facilitate those discussions, but then the provinces are having a very political discussion with each other. And so it, it's it's just a um, an environment where it's hard for hydro to really see where the next wave of opportunity um will happen and how this will materialize in the short-term horizon. Mm -hmm. um, so we are, we're, we are working with all our, our stakeholders, engaging with our partners and just trying to get a, a good understanding of that. And of course, there's the big um, uh, pan-Canadian electrification strategy that's yep. being drafted as we speak. Yep. Um, so this is going to be, I think, a, a massive um, piece of information and work for all of us to, to really get a strong look at and see how we can all work together on that. Yeah. Any um, any perspectives on, on um, hydrogen and the potential future for a hydrogen economy? Yeah, I mean, I think it's very positive. Yeah. Um, and I think any new technology that leads us to a clean, uh, non-emitting future is, is uh, very positive. Right. Hydrogen and hydropower have unique synergies, mm -hmm. uh, opportunities to collaborate. Um, and we can be the way that they fuel their their you know vehicle quote unquote yeah, for yeah. for for their new cells and, and that new technology. Yeah. Um, so, but there's a fuel cell car here on the on the, yeah, on the convention yeah, floor. Yeah. yeah. A cool looking vehicle. Yeah. Um, but you know of course hydrogen is going to look at a variety of partners as well and depending on the region depending on where we are it it could be um, a suite of options which makes sense. Right. Uh, I mean in Canada. Uh, almost every province that's that has that is high intensive in terms of being a, a, a strong hydro producer, this is where you tend to observe the lowest electricity rates. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it just brings a whole suite of opportunities for investors uh, who are looking at those new technologies, but also for data centers for right. um, you know the downstream, yeah. the consumer side, right? Yeah. And bringing that onto the general market in Canada. Okay. So um, what? 
what are the, the principal asks um, that, that you have of governments? And it, foremost in my mind, because I was in front of one of the parliamentary committees last week, but when, when, when you're in front of uh, parliamentarians here in Canada, what are the, the two or three things that you're telling them that we need to be thinking about doing now to, in order to, to pave the way for this, this brighter future? Yeah, so number one is really how we need to streamline the regulatory environment. Yeah. Uh, because really, right now, we are a bit in a situation where we're shooting ourselves in the foot mm -hmm. and we are preventing one of our best assets to really flourish. Right. Um, as I said, it takes 15 to 18 years to, to permit and get a hydrocyte off the ground, right. which is uh, unheard of and it, 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 it is purely unreasonable. Yeah. It should take us a long time because we have a footprint, we have impacts, and these need to be managed. Um, but 15 to 20 years is half a generation time. Yeah. Um, so if you lead with that kind of time frame, really you won't see any large infrastructure projects in Canada anytime soon because mm. we're not the only ones that, have, that are affected by that kind of um, heavy regulatory environment. Sure. So that's one of the, I guess, the, the, the top of mind ask uh, that we lead with when we meet with government is to try and find a way to recognize that hydropower is one of your key asset and one of your natural advantage to address climate change um, and as government you should try and really nourish that as opposed to mm -hmm. um, you know deter development of that of that resource right and and the other thing is to get a grip on electrification mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and really get a strategy that is clear and driven by even though you don't pick you know winners and losers you'll have to pick some technologies and you'll have to um, start saying, okay, we are as government pushing for that kind of collaboration, be it right. interprovincial yeah. collaboration and, and leveraging um, uh, interties or uh, be it uh, a green field in that province or um, smart grid, um, you know, and, and investment in other technologies. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's, I think it's going to have to come to a place where um, it's a multi-pronged approach, but government will have to make some decisions. Right. All right. So here's a question that I ask, uh, I think, everybody that's come on the podcast. Tough question. No, actually, no. <laughs> <laughs> What's one book that either you, you're reading or that you've just read that you would recommend to people to, to crack the cover off and, and give it a read? Oh, my gosh. That's a tough one. And you can't, you can't pick... The Uninhabitable Earth by David Wallace Wells, who was one of our speakers this morning. <laughs> um, you know what? A recent one that I've read that um, my parents had recommended me reading for years, uh -huh. and that was so thick and looked so overwhelmingly long that I never picked up until recently, and then I devoured it yeah. in a week. Uh, was the Pillars of the Earth book oh, yeah. by Ken Follett. Absolutely. Um, which is not a new book by any stretch of the imagination, absolutely not related to climate change. Yep. Um, it's uh, the story of this uh, cathedral builder in the medieval age, uh, which follows him through his life and then uh, his son's uh, life. And I found it uh, Tom, Tom one Bilder. of the best yeah. books I've ever read. Yeah. Uh, and again, it's probably 40 years old now. Yeah. But it was magnificent and just opened my eyes to a lot of different thoughts and emotions like like a good book yeah, can yeah. do. Terrific. And thank you for joining me on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Flux Capacitor. Invite you to tune in for future discussions 
and invite you to continue the Electricity Conversation on our Facebook page, on Twitter, and at electricity.ca. Oh.